All right. Welcome to the live stream. I wasn't turned on. Well, we're so glad you came to join us on this Sunday morning today and forever and that you never fail. And so our hope does not disappoint, but it is securely founded on the rock Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Come on, let's worship.
I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God And all my life you have been faithful And all- 
Father God, I thank you for this moment where we can step into your presence and your goodness. Lord, we want to take it for granted. We don't want to take these moments for granted. I'm thinking about the loved ones that I've learned not to take for granted. I'm learning, God, to trust you. In the middle of a storm, I'm I'm learning what it looks like to truly be the church. And Jesus, it's in these moments where you're breathing something new and fresh into us. And Father, I thank you that our hope is firmly anchored in you. God, I'm asking in this moment that your presence would be more evident than ever before in every living room across the nation as people gather. And I'm asking you, church, to gather with me in this moment and pray for the church because there are millions of homes that have become the church. Living rooms just like yours where people are gathered in. Some of them are grieving the loss of a loved one. Some of them are hanging on for dear life as a loved one is fighting for their life. And wherever they are, Jesus is right in the middle. He not only is our hope, but he grieves with us. And so Jesus, we look to you and Father, I pray that you would do something to unite your church like never before in this moment on this Sunday across the nation. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's just uh, thank God wherever you are. I want to thank the worship team. I want to thank our team, our tiny little team. We've even stripped it down from last week. We have two less people here than we did last week because uh, we're really trying to honor what, uh, what the government has asked and honor wisdom in that moment. And, um, and so our stripped down team right here is doing an incredible job to bring this message to you. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you to the few that are here six feet apart um, because this is, this is truly a miracle. I gotta grab my pulpit. And so as I said, um, I'm preaching a message today that I believe is gonna, gonna help you I believe it's going to bless all of us, and um, this message is um, one of four that I prepared this week. <laughs> uh, typically, we're in a series, and I kind of know where we're headed, uh, but in these times, man, uh, they don't teach you this in seminary, uh, how to lead and pastor not only your home, your, your, yourself, your friends, but, uh, but a church. Is, these are unique times. And uh, I really want to make sure that each and every time we, we gather that um, I'm doing my very best to, to preach a message and communicate something that would be on God's heart for now. And so um, we're going to read a couple of scriptures and, and I'm going to share some, some thoughts with you. 
I don't have all the answers, but I want to go to the one that does. And I want to start with the scripture in Isaiah 43, verse 19, and it's a, a familiar passage. It's going to sort of uh, highlight where we're headed this morning. And it says this, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Tap your neighbor, tap your friend, your wife, your kids, and tell them he's doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so uh, this, is, this is what we're going after. This is what we believe. And so um, it's with that, I want to pick up a story in um, the book of John. And uh, it's a familiar story because it's Jesus's first miracle. Like I said, we're not currently going through a series in John. And if you're visiting, uh, you know, our church online right now, uh, this is not a series we're in. But man, I'll tell you what, God really brought me to this passage. Um, and so I, I want to I read through it and then give some thoughts. And it starts in uh, John chapter 2. And we're going to start reading verse 1. It'll be up on the screen. It says this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now notice the disciples, they were not there to serve at the wedding. They were actually invited to the wedding as guests with Jesus. Verse three, when the wine ran out, oh my gosh, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, <laughs> I like that. Woman, uh, that was not a derogatory term, although in this day and age it would be, so don't do that. Okay, um, when Jesus said to her, woman, uh, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother just turned to his disciples and said, do whatever he tells you. Now there was six stone water jars, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now go draw out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now having become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to everyone serves the good wine first. And then when people have drunk freely and they're kind of a little tipsy, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This was the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. God, we just want to pray one more time over your word. Pray that you would speak, that it wouldn't be my words communicated through this Facebook stream, but truly you would speak something of life into our souls as we look to you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, it's kind of interesting because as I, as I was studying and as I said, I went through about four different versions of a sermon to, to prepare this, but where God brought me was that passage and after I started studying it, I, it dawned on me that there was actually a wedding that I was going to be in uh, this week. And I know you're thinking like, wow, how did you forget you were in a wedding? Well, 
obviously in the, in, in the times that we're living, a wedding is a little difficult to come by. And there's been a lot of different uh, versions of this wedding uh, as the days and weeks have changed significantly. And so it just kind of wasn't on the forefront. But nevertheless, uh, I just want to pause for a moment and say uh, congratulations to the couple that actually did, in the midst of all of this, get married yesterday. And I actually have a picture, if you just throw it up there. And this is Dan and Shoshana. This was yesterday. And um, oh my gosh, breathtaking. What an incredible couple. They are our youth pastors here, uh, our youth directors here at the church. Uh, I've known Shoshana since I was little. And um, Dan and his whole family are pillars in our church here in Escondido. Uh, Dan Shoshana, we love you with all of our hearts. So proud of you guys. And I know that the, the community that's all watching right now echoes that, that um, we're really proud of you. Now, don't get freaked out because it wasn't a wedding like you're thinking. Uh, it was a, much like the studio that we're in right now. It was a church opened their doors, luckily, to a studio. And there was a few people there to just facilitate the cameras and different things like that. And then they streamed it live so that way just friends could or family could, um, could watch online. And then they're going to actually have their full ceremony in August. But um, they didn't want to wait till August to get married. And can you blame them? So um, love you guys. Uh, I was, so I was thinking about weddings and obviously Jesus is at a wedding. And this is the story we're, we're kind of leaning into. And uh, I was thinking about just... The, the beautiful new beginnings that, that weddings represent. And I think that's one of the reasons, besides the fact that it's romantic, one of the reasons why everybody loves a wedding is because it's just like, this is two lives becoming one. And you think about the new relationships. We think about um, the new adventures and dreams that, that lie ahead for this family. We think about the new rhythms, like starting tomorrow, Dan and Shoshana and anybody else that got married, they're literally starting a brand new rhythm this morning as they're waking up in the, the same house and they're learning how to brush their teeth together and have coffee together and all just like fun things, new rhythms of life in every facet. And then ultimately, maybe one day, new life beginning. And I just, I just love that. I remember when, when you got married and the, the significance of those moments. And so here we find ourselves in, Jesus is coming to this wedding. And I don't know if you ever thought about it, but like, God was the, uh, the, the creator of this marriage institution. He thought of it. He brought it together. And the Bible says to become one flesh. And so Jesus, the one who make, comes to make all things new, right? And the Bible says that we are his bride. So Jesus is coming to this wedding. I imagine it was extremely special for Jesus and certainly special for everybody that was there. Imagine Jesus in flesh coming to your wedding. And, and so here we find ourselves, um, a crisis breaks out. They don't have any wine. Now, listen, um, this is, sermon is not about wine. Uh, and I'm not trying to make a case for it either way. But I am saying that there definitely was a crisis because in those days, wine, they drank it like water and a wedding went for like a, a week. And so to say that you didn't have wine would be like saying we ran out of food. We're quarantined in the house and like we don't have toilet paper. Uh, it, it was a necessity. And so uh, it was a bit of an emergency. And so Jesus finds himself in this, this crisis and I want to pause and recognize that Jesus didn't cause this crisis. 
Uh, in fact, uh, the, the, the text says that Jesus was a little caught, caught off guard and he said to his mom, remember, woman, uh, what does this have to do with me? My time hasn't even come yet. Like, I'm not even doing that just yet. I know, you know, I'm the miracle worker, but I'm just sort of trying to, to be a guest here. Um, and, and, and nevertheless, he was called upon. And so I don't know if it was you know, a wedding planner oversight. I don't know if they were just drinking a little bit too much the first couple of days, but nevertheless, they find themselves in a crisis and Jesus steps in. And I just want to pause for a moment because I've heard a lot of different messages online and, you know, uh, from pulpits and, and different people speculating about the virus and the crisis that we are in. And I've heard people make connotations that are referring to maybe God is judging the earth. Maybe he's judging the sinfulness of the world. And listen, I, I, I am well aware that we live in a sinful world. There's no question about it. And, and we are living with the choices of humanity starting in the garden all the way until now. But I can tell you from, from this pulpit, from this church, from this pastor, my firm belief in that, that is God is not behind this virus. He did not cause it. It's not his desire to wipe out anybody. In fact, God sent his son into this fallen world. And God's, Jesus said about God that God did not send me, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but, to, but that the world might be saved through me. And so I just want to say that, that there will be a day when all of us have to give an account for our actions. And God is a, a, a righteous judge but that day is not today. Scripture has made it very clear that we are living in the grace age. And that doesn't mean that our actions don't matter. It just means that there is salvation through Jesus. And he did not come, nor is the Holy Spirit here to bring judgment on the world. But that the world might be saved through him. And so we live in a fallen world and there's difficult things that happen. And listen, that's a huge, another conversation about how and why bad things are even allowed to happen in the world. And I don't have all those answers, but I know that our God is good. And I know that he is not in the background somehow trying to leverage all of the catastrophes to judge people according to their sin. In fact, he is created a humongous wide door in the person of Jesus, simply saying, listen, it's a free gift. Not only can you have salvation, but you can have hope today. And so if you're kind of one of those that's wondering, is God judging the world? I, I just want to give a sense of security and peace to you that, 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 that God is simply using this opportunity to bring people to himself and to save the world and not condemn it. So, the result of this crisis, and that's kind of where I want to get to. The result of this crisis was new wine. New wine. There was a crisis and everyone didn't know what they were going to do. And Jesus literally used it as an opportunity to bring something new. Now everyone's saying that, uh, that, that this crisis is going to change the, the way that we do life. 
And I have no doubt. I mean, listen, I, I think that, that there's going to be some dramatic shifts in the church. I think that there's already dramatic shifts in business and how people interact because of what we're learning throughout all this, not just to bring safety to the world, but also realizing uh, how we can leverage technology and, uh, you know, a hundred different ways that the world is going to change. And I think that a lot of them are going to be for the positive, I, I hope. But what I've been thinking about all week is, is anyone asking how God is using this thing, this, these circumstances to change things? And I know you're probably thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought you just said that, that God didn't, didn't, didn't cause this crisis. And he did not cause this crisis. But the best wine, I don't want you to miss this. I'm going to put this up there on the lower third. The best wine always comes from the struggle. And if there was a thesis for what I felt like the Lord wanted to say to us today, and it's this, the best wine always comes from the struggle. So in verse 10, it says that um, you have saved the good wine until now. So the, the master of the, the feast is saying, like, you've saved the good wine until now. We had wine before, but then this crisis happened. There was this, all this tension, and now the good wine comes. And um, th- this, is a, this is a principle in life. And we see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Those of you who know me know that I talk about Israel all the time because I was able to go there in September. And one of the significant moments for me was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because this was a moment where I realized that Gethsemane actually means olive press or place of crushing. In fact, I got a tattoo that I won't bother showing you, but it's as of an olive tree because the olive tree represents tree of resurrection. It literally has a resurrection as it continues to be rebirthed over and over again. And as Jesus was in the garden, there's actually a, a, an olive press in the garden. And that was what this place was known for is it was a place of pressing olives. And somebody asked me once, um, what, what does olive oil cost? And I love this answer that a preacher that I, that I know and, and respect gave to the, to, to the question, what does olive oil cost? Well, I think that it's different in this grocery store and different in this part of the world than in different other, other places on the planet. But the real question, the real answer to what, all, what does olive oil cost is ask the olive. The olive had to absolutely give its life for the sake of the olive oil. In order to get olive oil, you have to crush the olive. And that's what Jesus experienced in the garden. It was a place of crushing. He literally sweat blood because he was being pressed in that moment. It wasn't something he asked for and God certainly didn't create these circumstances. It's a fallen world that Jesus found himself in and nevertheless, a place of crushing created the most beautiful sacrifice that you and I are still experiencing. And what I wrote here was that what made the fragrance from the garden so powerful was that Jesus came to the end. Don't miss this. Jesus came to the end of himself and yielded himself to God. Remember when Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. But listen, if you, can, if you can take this cup from me, then do it, but not my will. I'm yielded to you in a place of crushing. And I'm not standing before you with like a bunch of answers in light of, of where we find ourselves 
in. But I am a fellow husband, father, and I'll tell you what, um, I'm feeling crushed, are you? Are you feeling pressed? Uh, have, you, have you come to the end of yourself? Last week, I talked a little bit about sort of being in the long middle. And it's funny, like after I preached the message, I got home and the very next day, it was like, I actually felt like I was in the long middle. I almost felt like a little claustrophobic. Um, but I, I'm standing before you today, not necessarily feeling claustrophobic or like the long middle. I just feel like I... I've, I have used all of my leadership skills. I have used all of my, my pastoral muscles and my you know, know-how to be a husband and a father. And I'm just kind of like at the end of myself. And Jesus reminded me of uh, 2 Corinthians. Again, a familiar passage. Uh, chapter 12, verse 9, 9 says this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your Weakness, And so the best wine comes from the struggle that, that God is doing something in the middle of this and he's doing it through the pressing. Not because he created this, not because he wants people to hurt, not because he's in death or suffering in any way, shape or form, but God never misses an opportunity to bring new wine. And so um, we go to the next part of the story. What's interesting about verse nine is it says, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And that was sort of like the highlight. No, though the servants knew, the disciples, they knew where it had come from because they were the ones that were drawing the wine. See, everybody at the party, all they knew is that we were out of wine. And then somehow the, the, the wedding host brings out more wine. And then this more wine was even better than they had before. And they totally missed what really happened. In fact, they didn't even know really that there was a crisis. But the disciples, the servants, they, they experienced the miracle. See, I think um, going back to the, the wedding, because that's, that's where this took place and I was, I was at a wedding, as I said yesterday, and I was thinking about the fact that this miracle of a wedding, the miracle is not that two people get to share a bank account, that the miracle is not that two people can, can have a child, although that's, that's amazing, but, but, but that's not the miracle of a wedding or a marriage. The miracle of a marriage is the Bible says that two become one. Two individuals, two individual personalities, two individual trajectories, two individual plans, they become one flesh. See, see, this is the miracle. Unfortunately, you and I, we, we know far too many couples who went through the ceremony, who said, I do. They went on a honeymoon and they got the pictures and and they moved in together and they shared bank accounts. Unfortunately, they missed, they missed the miracle. They missed what, what was happening. They missed becoming one. And inevitably, most of the cases is that they end up separating because the, the crushing, the struggle of becoming one was too difficult. They woke up one day and said, man, I, I didn't sign up for this. Like I, I didn't sign up for, for 
sacrificing who I am and my dreams and my passions for, for this person. And, and all of a sudden you drift apart and realize that, hey, we're on two different trajectories. And, 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 and yet those of us who, who are married and have experienced the blessing of it realize that the best wine comes from the struggle. I'll tell you what, um, I don't have a perfect marriage. I've been married for almost 17 years and my wife's my best friend. Hi, Heather. Uh, she's watching. And um, she makes me better. Uh, and those of you who know her would say that she's actually better. <laughs> um, she's a better person than I am, truly and 100%. And, um, and I realized in, in my marriage that if it was going to work, if we were going to become one, if I was not just going to step, stand on the peripheral and watch this miracle happen, but step into it and be changed, then I was going to have to let go of some things. And first and foremost, it was me being selfish. I was selfish and Heather came along and, 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 and helped me realize that in order to become one and experience the blessing of marriage, then I was going to have to go through the struggle and be pressed. And when I did, we both experienced something beautiful. And I, and I think that, that there's a message there. And I don't, this is not, the message isn't on marriage, although I hope that helped you. Um, but this message is about that there's blessing in the struggle, that, that life is not perfect. And God isn't going around trying to, to, to plan horrible things that we go through. We go through horrible things because we are in a fallen world and God has given everybody free will, including the people that give you a really hard time. That is their prerogative. And yet God uses it because the best wine comes from the struggle. It really does. And so my challenge to us is don't miss the opportunity to ask God, what is he doing in me in this time? What is he doing in my relationships? What new thing is he helping me see in my relationships, in my personal life and in our church, in the church? And I wrote a few things down as it relates to what I feel like he's doing in us personally. And this is, this is kind of coming from what he's doing in me, but, but, I would assume that you're not too far behind. I think that he's teaching us how to trust him. And that's kind of like a churchy thing and trust in the Lord with all your heart. And it's like, that's what you learn in Sunday school. But in times like these, we ask ourselves and, and we are faced with, do I actually trust him? And I was drawn to a verse in uh, Psalm chapter 20 and verse seven, and it says this, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I was kind of like thinking about the name, the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord. We trust in the name of the Lord. And that's significant. Because when, when Moses was in his crisis and when, when he didn't know what to do and he was at the burning bush and God was talking to him about going and being the savior of his people and Moses was freaking out and, God, and Moses was like, God, what am I going to say to these people? Who sent me? And God says, tell them I am. Tell them my name is I am. In other words, I am whatever you need. And I guess my question that, that we're forced to ask ourselves is, what name 
do I associate with God that I really trust in? And I was thinking about names even for me personally. And all of us are in this boat. I've got a lot of different names that I go by. And, and what you call me says a lot about our relationship, right? So I've got some people who call me Mr. Rogers. And those people are either, either have a fascination with Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, which isn't helpful because I don't, um, <laughs> or those people are telemarketers on the phone calling me Mr. Rogers. And again, tells them about my, our relationship. Some people call me Shaners. And those people I've known for a very long time, and there aren't very many of those people. I'm not offended by that name. It's just, you don't call me Shaners unless you knew me when I was a young boy or a teenager. Some people call me pastor, and that says a little bit about our relationship here in Escondido. And some people call me coach, uh, and that says a lot about my relationship with you or your kids as my privilege to coach their soccer team. And some people call me pastor coach because they don't know which hat I'm wearing because I'm their pastor and their coach, and that's always a fun one. But what you call me defines how you know me. And I think that it's true about God and we're learning that as we ask ourselves, do we trust him? Do we know him? And, and I think that that's one of the deep things that God is doing in us is he's helping us get to know him at a more personal level. I, I know that this is true about me, that, that I wanna trust God, that he is my strong tower, that he is the faithful one. Listen, if you're praying for a loved one who's sick, which I am because I have a faithful friend who's sick right now and I'm believing for him. And so I'm getting to know my heavenly father as the healer, that that is his name. That is the person that I trust in over chariots and over horses, over the doctors. I trust in the name of the Lord, that he is Jehovah Rapha, my healer. And that's who he is. Some people just know God is God and the big man upstairs. And listen, if that's where you are in your walk, that's not an insult. That's a starting place. But I believe that God is wanting to do something new in you because the best wine comes from the struggle. And if you're holding on and you're believing for something, I hear the Lord calling you and inviting you in to know him at a deeper level, know his name and his character at a deeper level. Second thing is that I think he's doing something in our relationships. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I've talked to my, my family members um, more in the past two weeks than I probably have in six months. I'm not proud of that, but uh, I'm not always faithful to stay in real close contact with my family. And yet we jump on Zooms and we jump on phone calls and FaceTimes now more than ever because I have learned and am learning that we were created for relationships. We are learning what's really important. I think that that's something new that God is doing. We were created for personal touch. Listen, this six feet apart thing, I think is wise and I think we should do it, but man, oh man, it's hard. And even if you're not like a physical touch person, like you have to admit, having that sense of isolation is hard and we're learning that God has created us to be in relationship. He's created us to have compassion for one another. And I, I believe that God is doing something new in the world as it relates to people. 
that we would learn to slow down, that we would learn to see one another, value one another like never before. I know that, that God is he's teaching me that. And lastly, I think that he's doing something corporately with the church. I think that he is teaching us that we need to be the church and not do church. I think that across the nation and the globe, uh, it's easy to get into a rhythm of doing church. I go to church, I go to small group, and that's what I do. And now we are learning that, listen, if we can do all the religious stuff we want, but if we have not love, we have Nothing. And so Jesus is breathing something new in this struggle, in this struggle of how do we even do church? I don't know. I've never done this before, but I'm leaning into what does it look like to be the church? Maybe church isn't just a service. Maybe church is not a sermon. Maybe church is the people, the body leaning in to love and care and be there for one another and put Jesus at the center of it. That is beautiful. It's what he came and died for. For, and that is what comes from the struggle. So I think God is calling us to this. And I want to land on this. I want to land on this. My last observation is that in the story, the wine wasn't for them. Those that were a part of the miracle, those that got to see it, those that carried the wine, it wasn't for them. It, it wasn't just for them. It was for the world. It was for those that were going to be partakers of this goodness. And I just wrote here, we are meant to be carriers of this beautiful expression of our loving heavenly father to the world, like a cup of cold water in a dry and parched land. See, I'm doing a new thing. Can you not see it? I am bringing a, a river in the desert. I'm making a way where there seems to be no way. And so God, do something in me so you can do something through me. My prayer in this time is that we wouldn't, as the church, frantically just try to figure out how do I stay healthy and how do I make sure that my 401k is okay and how, how do I you know, manage with the little resources we have. I mean, listen, there's practical things you gotta do, but man, let's shift our focus to the one that created it all and let's begin to ask the question, Jesus, what are you doing in the midst of this crisis that you did not create? What are you doing in me? What are you forming in me in the middle of this struggle? What's the beautiful thing that will emerge so that I might be carriers of that to a world that desperately needs it? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we recognize today in the midst of not having the answers, we fall on the mercy seat of the reality that your ways are much higher than our ways, your thoughts higher than our thoughts. But Jesus, we know that when we trust in you, that we can mount up like wings as eagles. We can run and not grow weary. We can walk and not grow faint. And so Father, I pray that as we come to the end of ourselves and we realize your strength is made perfect in this moment, God, would you forge in us something brand new? Would you help us be the people that have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing so that we might be the conduit for your goodness to 
the world. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being a part of our Heart Church family. I, I wanna highlight a couple of things as we close our service online. One is that um, thank you for the, those who are continuing to be faithful contributors to our church. And there's gonna be a slide that goes up that just kind of highlights the ways you can give. But the, the easiest way is just go to our website, heartchurchsd.com. And uh, there's, there's a link there that will get you to, uh, you know, ability to pay online. But most of you that call Heart Church home have already found that link. And I just wanna say thank you. Uh, from the, on behalf of the church council, as we continue to process through our finances, obviously we still have a building to pay rent for and we're trying to continue to, to be the church. And so thank you for contributing to that. If you don't go to our church and you're just looking for, for a way to be a blessing, then we, we'd love for you to take this opportunity and sow a, a love gift to our church. Secondly, I wanna highlight the fact that uh, as we are you know, just accepting the reality that this, this might be a little bit more time, maybe another month, maybe another two months, who knows, until we can gather again. Uh, we're working behind the scenes to create venues of community. And so one of those places is gonna be what we're calling Zoom groups. And that's just some friends getting together on Zoom. And man, I, I just, I wanna see all your faces. I, I need that. I wanna hear your voice. And so we're gonna create different platforms for that. So that way we can get together as a community and love on one another other pray for one another. And so uh, I just want to say, God bless you. Keep tuning in, keep leaning into community, keep leaning into Jesus and one another. And I know that good things are going to come from it. God bless you and have an awesome Sunday.